If you want to pull out the blue insert again, on the back side of that women's announcement, there's just something I'd encourage you to read this week. Um, 30 simple ways to be missional in your workplace. And I'd encourage you just to read those, think about them, ponder about them. And I think there's some opportunities for us just to continue to look outward and impact our community. And I think these are some great ideas to, to do that um, as, as we uh, look to spread God and his, the gospel into this world. Uh, let me just begin by putting a couple of verses on the screen. We've been in a series speaking toward the heart and the treasures within, but there's two key passages. Look at these. They're actually identical. Uh, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, these uh, written by Matthew and by Luke, they're actually, one's a Sermon on the Mount, and the other one is at another occasion identical. But it's the concept here, as Jesus speaks, there's this understanding that he has that within our hearts, is that's where we treasure things. It's, this not, it's this, not the physical heart, but it's this place where our motives exist. It's the place where our values are stored and what defines what is important in our lives. And God wants us to give our hearts this place fully to Him and allow the Holy Spirit to be the one to create that balance and the right priorities that are the things that are in our hearts. But there's one another treasure that we got to go after that we, we put in our hearts, and, and the question is how we do that, but it's this treasure of our children. You look around and I think of the day that my son or my daughter were born, and you hold that baby and you go, I would die for that. Those kids become our treasure. Now, when they become disobedient sometimes, it's a little hard to treasure them. We understand that. But I submit to you that the issue of our hearts and this issue of the heart is connected deeply to our kids. But let me just use just an illustration here, how this issue of the heart impacts us. Uh, six, seven years ago, a man showed up in my office at the church, and his relationship with his children, it, it was shattered. And his marriage relationship was shattered, and, and he was desperate, and the connection was actually through one of the elders at the church. And, and I began to spend some time with him, and just talking about his marriage and his family, and, and, and hoping to see God maybe rebuild that family. But there were some things in this man's heart that destroyed that marriage relationship and his relationship with his children. There was a battle that he lost. And, and this, there's a concept I've been kind of throwing at you for a number of years, and let me put this back up on the screen, and it's on your notes there. The battle that's within our hearts is the battle as to whom or to what or where we give our love. Now, we, we need to catch this. Because we're made in the image of God, He made us to be lovers. I, I think we don't realize that who God who is love, He makes us to be lovers, but the problem was in that garden, when Adam and Eve sinned, they chose autonomy. They wanted to rule their own worlds, and what happened is that while they're before that, they were giving their love to God, 
But all of a sudden it turns around and they begin to withdraw from God and they begin to give it back to themselves. And for this man that I had met, where his family was broken, he lost the battle in his heart. And the first battle that he lost was this. He began to give his best love toward his work. And work became his first mistress. And went through the years and all of a sudden, meaning around that work, it didn't satisfy him anymore. And he begins to fade and and loneliness sets in. And lo and behold, then what he does is he redirects his love and he gave his love to another woman who was not his wife. But ultimately, that love you understand, was feeding, curving back, as Martin Luther says, and it feeding the self and self-love. You see, the things that we treasure in the heart can lead to a slippery slope of where our love is being directed. But here's what we want to do today. We need to connect this idea again of the hearts to this other treasure, and the treasure is our children. You know, as we look out and a lot of families represented here today, I I think this is fair to say, in that all of us that have kids, we want our children, to use the phrase of Scripture, to have a heart for God. You know, would anybody want their kids to grow up and be a narcissistic person? I was meeting with a counselor this past week, just having breakfast, and we were talking about this issue of narcissism and as i looked it up and let me put a definition on the screen of where self-love the depth of where it can go look at how it's it's characterized by a long-standing pattern of grandiosity either in fantasy or actual behavior an overwhelming need for admiration and usually a complete lack of empathy toward others they believe they are of a primary importance in everyone's life or to anyone they meet you see, that's the degree to self-love if we lose that battle where it can go. Matter of fact, when you think of a narcissistic personality, I would argue this, the first one revealed in Scripture, they're, they're revealed all over the place, but the first one is Lucifer. Go sometime to Isaiah 14 and look at the, the picture. There's some verses in there, I think it's verse 12 and on, that talks about this, this attitude that Satan had. But it's the challenge for us. See, what do we want for our children? Matter of fact, I throw a question out. My kids are a little older. They're all in their 30s on forward. But if you were to say, if you have children right now, you're in that age, what would you want your child to look like when they're 25? What values, what do you want to see in their hearts? What is going to be important for them? What do you want? Now now the challenge there, when you look at the stats, I I think of where the ministry that my son's a part of, the stats that he says is somewhere around 5% in the United States between 18 and 30 are connected to a church. 5%. And he goes, something is missing. Are these young people, their hearts are headed in a different direction. They're not giving their their hearts toward God. And and I think part of the dilemma for us is, even within churches, 
I think sometimes we reduced parenting and and trying to shape the hearts of our children into, frankly, wrong goals. And we've kind of pushed it toward a very simplistic approach to parenting. So we just, you know, we kind of go like this. Well, I'm just going to have my kids memorize and know the Bible. I'm going to make sure the right obedience structures are in place, the right discipline, the right rules. I remember uh, in a class, we, we read this verse, train up a child in the ways and he shall not depart. You know that verse? And we were talking about the context of that class. Is we look at the families and we claim that verse as a promise. And, and my hermeneutics teacher began to pulverize the idea, it is not a promise in how we look at that. Matter of fact, he went on to remind us that we as parents are deeply flawed and that it impacts the way who we are, it impacts our children. See, there really are no guarantees. There's no formula that says, I'm going to have a child that's going to have a heart for God. There's no perfect parents in this world. Matter of fact, the only one that you can say is a perfect parent is God himself, God his Father. But do you realize even there, his first two children of all of creation rebelled. And his kids didn't even have a sinful nature. Stop and ponder that. So we want to connect these issues. Where does, what do we do with the hearts of our children? Well, let me just give you the main point for this morning, that we would just want to come from a lot of different angles. The main point, as parents, the things that we treasure influence the treasures that are developing in the hearts of our children. See, there's a connection between our hearts and the hearts of the kids that we are trying to influence. And and grandparents, this would also imply, I think, toward us. But turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're going to kind of give some mile-high principles here. But I want to read this, and and this is just a a, a deeply important passage in understanding children and and us and our hearts. Look at how it reads, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Very broad command. It doesn't give a lot of how-tos when we transplant it here into the 21st century. But let me just kind of give three principles, larger principles that come out of this. Number one, if you're taking notes, I said it this way, it starts with the hearts of adults. Now, I would point something out here that we tend to use this only for parenting. This command is written to all of Israel. So this applies to every person as we look to remind ourselves that it starts within us. But this mile high of of getting a child to have a heart for Christ, where they begin to treasure Christ, it starts with us as parents. Look at 6 and 8. And these words I command you today, they shall be on your heart, not your children's heart. 
This is speaking to the parents, to the adults. You shall bind them as a sign of your hand. And they shall be frontlets between your eyes. See, we go, we should do this with their kids. No, it starts with us. It starts with parents. I, I think the challenge in the churches, when you, when you think of youth ministry and children's ministry, Sunday school and children's church, a lot of times what we default to is saying, well, that's the primary place where our children should learn to have a heart for God. And you go, no, it helps. It can help and supplement, but the place is starts within us as adults. But let me give you the second one that I see out of this. Our primary purpose for parents is to help our children love God with all of their hearts. We must keep that as the goal as parents. But the question is, what do we is that really what we want? Because when you come and ask the question, matter of fact, if we went to our kids, if I went to mine when they were younger and I said, Andy, Bethany, what do I really want from you? What, where do I want you to really be? What's most valuable as I'm communicating as a parent? See, am I communicating, I, I want a nice kid? That I want an all-state sports kid? That can get a scholarship and save me some money as a parent? Or, or how about the right education so they can have the right job, so they can earn the, have, the, have the job and be successful out in this world? And you go, who defines success, by the way? How about if we want kids that are academic kings and queens? Is that really what, we're, what's, what are we communicating to our children? You know what? I want you to have a 4.2. Now, I've never figured out what 4.2 means. It never existed in, when I was growing up. Anybody tell me what it is? I always thought a 2.2 was just about right. So <laughs> that, that was my schooling. See, but deep down, what do we want? What do we want our children's hearts to look like? Really? There's a good book out there recommended read called Visionary Parenting. And let me put a quote on the screen from that book. It says this, If someone followed your family around for a full week, observing everything you did and keeping a log of all your activities, and what would that person conclude about what is most important to you? This would apply to students, adults, whatever age. If your calendar is the measure of your values and your priorities, what does it reveal? Your daily family schedule is actively teaching your kids what you prize in life. The, the week after Christmas, I was out spending some time with my daughter in Sacramento, and it was nice, and we went to the park. Uh, it had playground equipment there, but there was a baseball field there. And as we were playing there on the slides and stuff, and, and a dad and a son came out, and they, he set up this nice net over at first base, and it was a full diamond, baseball-sized diamond, and he was at, took a whole uh, basket of balls, and, and he started hitting grounders to his son. He, the son started at third base, threw over to first, the net would catch the balls, and over, over, and over again he would do that, and then he moved the shortstop, and then they moved the net to second base and practiced double plays, and then he went to the pitcher's mound and he began to practice pitching 
And that illustration came to me this week because as I ponder that, I go, I wonder how much effort and energy that man put into spiritual development of a child's heart. He was putting at least an hour into having his son be the best baseball player he could be. But what was he communicating about values in the spiritual realm? You see, the challenge is is that we treasure our children and we show great commitment to them. We run around to their games, do all of the things, but unless the commitment and the effort is based on wisdom and truly the eternal things of God, deep commitment with wrong goals and purposes leads to a heart that really doesn't care about God. See, does nothing toward moving a child toward loving God with all their heart. And we can love them and at the same time have these, I would argue, poor goals and inadequate values as parents. There's a very important verse. I use it all the time. Philippians 1.9. Look at how this goes and is applied here. This is my prayer for you that your love will grow more and more than you will have knowledge and understanding with your love. Doesn't that apply to parents? That you will see the difference between what is important and what is not. And to choose what is important, that you will be pure and blameless for the coming of Christ. See, before we teach our children... God needs to change us and tell us what is wisdom, spiritual wisdom, as we look to shape the hearts of our children. But let me throw you another mile-high principle here. Number three, the conversations with our children will influence as we become more intentional in the spiritual realm. And that word intentional is so important. Look at verse 7. You shall teach them diligently, not casually, not, oh, by the way, I suppose I need to do this with my kids. We are to teach them diligently. And you shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Do you see the intentionality of what God is calling us to do to connect really his heart, with the hearts of our children. And it starts with us as parents. So when I gather, what I gather from this verse, that in order for us to have our children bend their hearts toward God, it begins with conversations between parents and their kids. And they must be purposeful, and asking what God needs to do in us first. Now for some application today, got a few minutes, I'm going to invite Greg and Heidi Carlson up. Uh, Greg and Heidi are missionaries actually from Poland, and they were here uh, last evening and presenting some stuff for potential connections for us uh, down the line. 
but Greg and Heidi uh, have been friends of mine for a lot of years. Uh, Greg, uh, I, th- I think we knew each other back in 79 or 80 when we were playing basketball, and actually Greg was at Multnomah Bible College, and, and Greg was a youth pastor over the years as well. And uh, Greg actually uh, baptized both my son and my daughter. Uh, in, in the past, so we've he's been one that's uh, sharpened me a lot over the years. But I want to um, just help us do some application here today. But Greg, just first, why don't you just introduce uh, your ministry and uh, kind of just tell just a minute what that's all about? Okay. Okay, give me a couple sentences here. Um, this is my wife Heidi. Our two girls are with Deanna right now. They are in the first service. And um, my voice is not normally like this. We are serving with Josiah Venture. It's a mission organization that has a dream, and it's quite a large dream. And that's to see a movement of God among the young people of Central and Eastern Europe uh, that finds its home in the local church and transforms society. And uh, we started in a couple countries, and now we're in 14 countries, countries like Estonia, Latvia, Poland, Czech, Serbia, Albania, Ukraine, Romania, just to give you an idea. Um, And those are Central and Eastern European countries that were influenced by communism. And Josiah Venture is the name that comes from the youngest king who, under his rule, they found the word of God, kind of blew off the dust, read it, and there was a huge repentance of the, for the whole nation of Israel. And we want to see that happen in our part of the world. So we focus on discipleship. We, try to, we, we hunker down in the local church. And we just want to see a young movement of God throughout these countries. Yeah. Greg and Heidi have two teenage daughters. And they are faced every day with trying to impact them for the kingdom of God. And, and Heidi, just to kind of maybe to start with, as a mom, what are some of the things that you want to see with your daughters, with your teenage daughters? Where do you, what's the vision that you would have for them? I, the place that they're at now, um, I would like to, to, they're at the place at 14 and 16 to, to be in that transition from what they grew up in our household about, God's word is important. Loving others um, is important to uh, to really making it true for themselves. So our daughter Kelsey, about a year ago, I, I see that she started to make this transition of um, no, my parents my parents don't let me watch those movies. To no, I don't really want to watch that movie. So and to start using her own words to talk to her friends about. God. Um, and Jillian, who's 14, I see, I can see her thinking. She's, now she's thinking. Uh, it pol, pol, let me back up. Poland is uh, 95 or higher percent Catholic. So in Catholic families, they know about Jesus. They know Jesus died on the cross for their sins. And Jillian many times has told me, Mom, I don't know how to talk to pe- my friends about Jesus because they already believe in him. And now I see a change in Jillian where she's starting to think and see friends who the way they act doesn't really correspond with what they say they believe. And so I see Jillian now I seeing those friends and starting to think about 
how how can I help communicate? Ask them about what they really believe. So Jillian's thinking this. J Kelsey is starting to do it. Sorry. Right, good. Greg, how about for you? What are some of the things that even conversations that you mm -hmm. want to have with your with your children? Well, forgiveness is a big thing for me, and I want my girls to learn that. And guess who it starts with? You know, it starts with me. And I remember, I'm, I'm just, I said it in the first service, but I just can't believe she was four years old. Uh, I'll say f between four and five to help me out. But I spoke uh, strongly to my daughter, Jillian, when she was about four or five years old. I, my voice, I raised my voice to her. And I was, I'm a, I was six foot four at that time. Maybe I've shrunk since then. But when you have a 6'4 man speaking uh, angrily or loudly towards a 4- or 5-year-old daughter, I mean, just let that sink in for a second. That is out of control, unfair. So um, Jillian was in the, in the kitchen. She was facing the counter, so her back was to me, and I came in, and I said, Jillian, Oh, Jillian, I am so sorry for the way I spoke to you. I used really strong words. And Jillian, our Father, our Heavenly Father, he would never speak to you like that. And I should never speak to you like that. So she, whatever she was doing, she set it down. And she walked up to me and looked up to me. And she said, Dad, I forgive you. Now, for a four- or five-year-old, um, she somehow understood that she had the power to forgive. And I think sometimes we underestimate our children. Um, and what I didn't say in the first service is we've had people come to our house, and like one time, Jillian, she's pretty funny, and she was kind of being overly funny, and almost to the point of disrespect. I don't think she was meaning to be, but afterwards I said, honey, the words you used were really funny, but they were kind of disrespectful. She said, oh, so she goes back and she said, I'm very sorry for the way I spoke to you. And she stood there. And the person who was eating dinner with us said, oh, don't worry about it. And she just stayed there. She just stood there. And I said, hey, she's waiting for you to forgive her. <laughs> and so, oh, 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 okay. And so she turned, he, this guy turns to her and she says, I forgive you, Jill. And she said, oh, thanks, and walks off. <laughs> you know, and isn't that important about forgiveness? Sometimes we just don't, um, in, even in the Polish culture, it's, oh, don't worry about it. Oh, don't worry about it. And forgiveness never happens, and, and it's really important in our life. And that kind of connects to another thing that's so important to me, that we have one, only one, absolutely perfect father, and that father twice spoke to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember the baptism? And he said four major, major statements that we all need to hear from our father. And he said, this is my son whom I love. And by the way, this is before his ministry. Who I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And I need to stream as the Heavenly Father does to his son and to me, I need to stream that to my daughter. This is my daughter, whom I love. Men, we got to say that publicly, whom I love. And I'm pleased with her, no matter what she does. And 
You need to listen to her. She's got something to say. Good. I also know that in Poland, there's a battle for the hearts of their kids there in terms of activities and sports and extracurricular stuff. Uh, how do you guys face that challenge as parents day to day? What are some things that have you had to wrestle with? What have you guys done? Well, in the last two years, we've entered the season of busy family where every family member is busy, and it's it's been challenging. But what it comes down to, there are some non-negotiables about our family. We're a missionary family of responsibilities. We have a lot of guests. But Greg and I try to communicate to our girls that we will support them in the decisions that they make um, if, if we're able to. And one, if we're not able to, that they would accept that graciously or think of another creative solution to that. And I'll give you an example. Uh, oh, it's four years now ago. Kelsey um, was attending a, a music school. It's an elementary school, but it was a very demanding, had a very demanding music program that included it. And... Uh, she was coming up, she was accepted into the middle school portion of it, but she really was, not that she didn't like music anymore, she just wanted to do other things besides only music. And she wanted to go to a different school, but she didn't want to leave all of her friends. And it was an excruciating process for her. She wanted to know that she was going to make the right decision, that there's only, only one decision. And if she didn't make the right one, then everything would be bad. And so we, we wanted her to make the decision, but we wanted her to know that we would support her decision. If she chose to stay at the music school, then we would do all that we could to help her succeed in that. And if she chose to just continue going to the music school, that we would support her in that decision too. So we did pros and cons and actually allowed her to, to see it, the overview. And she made, she made the final decision, which... I don't know why, but it included, Greg and I didn't require this of her, but she had to go to the principal of the school and tell him that she didn't want to study music anymore. And I'm not sure where that piece came from. It didn't come from Greg and I. But if you can imagine a 12-year-old girl speaking to a very stern principal why she was choosing to go somewhere else, that was, a, I think, a big transitional thing for Kelsey as she moved on into middle school. So we want to support them in their decisions, but also that they they know that it's their decision that they're that they're taking. Yeah, and that, and that they can make mistakes. We'd love to have them make more mistakes with us than outside. So um, we recently have uh, part of our responsibility in our mission organization is to help launch a gospel community on mission. And some of you might use the term church plant. Basically, it's gathering our neighbors and the people that we're most connected with, that we run into weekly or monthly, hairdressers, people we work with, um, the guy who fixes our cars, things like that. So we're working on that, but we are only four of us right now because we're starting from zero. Our, our local Brethren Church, where I was an elder, um, has given us full blessing to start this. So it's four of us, Heidi, me. Kelsey and Jillian. And we had to decide what are we going to be about before we start everything. Well, when we get together, we have two questions. And this has been a game changer. 
I know you're already thinking about the games today, so I might as well use the word game changer, right? <laughs> okay. So anyways, we started off and we say, okay, what is God telling you right now this week? What has he said to you in, in your times of prayer, Bible reading, your conversations with people, circumstances? What, is, what has he said to you? And second question is, what, what step do you need to make to be obedient to that? Now, that is, uh, imagine breaking up and knowing that every Sunday you come here, you're going to be in a group of 10 people, and somebody in that, in that circle is going to ask you, what has God taught you this week? What is he telling you? And what, what's your next step? So it's changed the dynamic of our, of, of our family so much that we're, there, our girls are telling us these things. I mean, they're saying, I believe God is saying this to me. I was reading this. I've been challenging. And I thought, you know, if I hadn't asked that question, they wouldn't have told me. So sometimes it takes a little provocation to do that. But one time, one of our kids said, he's not saying nothing. That's not really good English, but he's not saying anything to me. And I thought, and, okay, dads, what would have been your response? He's not saying anything to me. Well, I said, shame on you. We're missionary family. He always <laughs> speaks to us every day. No, I said, next. And by the way, to this child, I said, you know, it's like that sometimes in our life where we don't sense God speaking directly through prayers or whatever. But by the end of our time, we did a Bible study. God was speaking to her. So I think it's that rhythm about, you know, of, of expectations on our children. It's so important. We model it. We do it together, that kind of thing. Yeah. One last question. When you look ahead to 25 or the girls are out of the home, what's your desire? What's your heart, your goal as parents there? What do you want to see? I w- of course, I want them to have a vibrant relationship with God. Um, that's that's part of it. But also, I want them to be um, fully in their world. If if they're finished with college or whether, whatever and working, that they see that wherever they are in their jobs in the neighborhood that they live in, that they are um, an extension of God's message to the people around them. And in creative ways that they can communicate that to others. When Kelsey, she's now 16, when she was 14, I said, Kelsey, before you're 16, I want you to share passionately the gospel with one of your best friends. And it took a year and a half. And she's now in a Bible study with her best friend, Patricia. And Patricia's really enjoying it. And I believe it's going to bring her to Christ. Now, so we're waiting for that to go back. And and then during the service, the first service, I thought, oh, bingo, I got the second one. When she's eight, by the time she uh, graduates from high school, to see, for her to see Patricia do the same thing with somebody else. Like, by the time they're 25, I don't want them thinking about, could they be used in the kingdom of God? I want them to have stories to tell of how God used them and how God's going to use them. I, uh, I want them to be gear in you know, they're, they're ready to move. And they're also willing to wait for the right guy. <laughs> okay, who said that all right? It's, I don't want them, I, you know, so much. That's so important. I just want them to have enough in them to say they are a passionate follower of Christ and they're willing to wait for the right guy. Yeah, good. 
Thanks, guys. I'll let you go down. We're, we're going to uh, celebrate communion here today as well. But it's a reminder to us that as parents, we have an opportunity to shape the hearts of our children. And, and there's that prayerful attitude of our hearts of seeking him and figuring out what does it mean to love him first. That's the beginning point for us. And, and God gives us then the privilege, and it's not a guarantee, it's a privilege of, of watching the Holy Spirit work in, in our children's lives, and, and that is such a blessing. But a reminder, we're going to have communion elders if you want to come up here.